Welcome, everyone. We're doing another sales tech deep dive today with my esteemed colleague who's on a half of an espresso shot at this point, Nicholas. And <laughs> thank you for joining. Keep that map in the background. We're going to need that context for the deep dive. And Trevor, thank you so much for joining. Trevor is the CEO of Aviso, and we're going to be diving into Aviso if folks aren't familiar with it. Thanks, Nicholas. Really appreciate you bringing me on. And David, pleasure as always. So, Yeah, let's dive in. There's a lot of choices out in the sales tech marketplace today. How did Aviso start and what was the initial problem that it addressed? Aviso was purpose-built for AI. And when AI was this glimmer in folks' eye, about six years ago, when I took over, people thought AI was an arcane art. And it was difficult going to executives and articulating to them why we felt in some ways, we could be that crystal ball for the future and help them predict revenue. But over the years, as you've seen, AI is top of mind now, of course, and we've seen this push and pull effect where AI is part of you know almost every function out there, right? We've just come full circle now where we're viewed as the revenue operating system of the future. We're delivering on the promise we had, which was basically taking the road work out of the AE's life, adding value at every level of the organization, and really delivering on the promise of exciting revenue results while mitigating risk. That's really why Avisa's was built. And I think over the last 24 to 36 months, we've been delivering that in spades. So, so we need to unpack this because there's yeah. so much already. <laughs> <laughs> I think you really started around forecasting. Uh-huh. We did. But when you look at forecasting and you look at forecasting with AI, I think what you'll see is a fundamental difference in philosophy. So if you look at most of our peer set or competitors out there, there's some really great guys, whether it's Clary with Andy or you look at Amit Bendov, who's now dipping his feet into forecasting and revenue operations, or you look at Outreach, which now wants to do forecasting as well, or David O'Brand, who was working me at Salesforce, who's now taking over as CEO of Sales Love, and I can go on and on and on. And I think it's great that all of these teams and all of these competitors or peers want to come towards where we've already been. But the fundamental difference is, you know, as ServiceNow told us, right, when they look at how we approach forecasting or prognostications per se, we don't look at a snapshot in time and then give you a probability of that deal coming in or not. Because what happens is if you're looking at a snapshot in time, you're almost looking at CRM data as a lagging indicator of the future. What we look at is when you come into any given quarter, you have all these balls in the air and you don't know if these balls are real or if they're full of air. And the way Oviso addresses that is by having this concept of a dynamic wind score that changes on a daily basis, that changes almost on an hourly basis. And the reason we can do that is because we've got a time series DB and we get triggers based on fundamental changes in your data set, whether it's an email that came in, whether it's a call that went awry, whether it's sentiment we're seeing, whether it's a trend we're seeing in terms of your pipeline development, whether it's a key deal that seems to be delayed whether you got pushback, objection handling on your top 10 accounts. We look at each of these, and that's what helps us deliver this tremendous level of comfort and accuracy for our clients, where with the largest clients in the world, like Honeywell, now, you know, obviously we're at Lenovo as well. And if you want to talk about GitHub or you want to talk about Ring Central, the reason they depend on us is because of our ability to bring in like 96 to 98% accuracy from a top-down perspective. But more so from a bottoms-up perspective, we're able to call a deal within a two-week window, which most folks thought was, quite frankly, science fiction until they actually saw the results and are like, oh my God, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Hope that helps. It does. 
And one of the ways you know if you have a great sales leader is how close they get to the forecast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, with the CROs we work with, whether it's Carson at Ring Central, he's grown this business from like half a billion to like two or three billion dollars now. And he lives in a visa. It's so much so that it's interesting. He was talking about how a CIO harvested a Salesforce license. And they didn't realize that it was the CRO. And they were going to take it away because he hadn't logged in in three months. And he was like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> you do know who I am, right? <laughs> You're going to harvest my license? Really? <laughs> we got allocated? They're like, well, you haven't logged into Salesforce. He's like, I still need one. You leave my license alone, right? <laughs> or you talk to someone like Charles Fosgaard, you know, who's got promoted three times at Honeywell now and runs one of their largest businesses. And I think they'll all come back with this common refrain, right? At the end of the day, what Avisa is doing is augmenting their current skill sets and their current processes. We've never claimed to replace the value that an individual, a sales leader or a CRO brings to the table. What we're here to do is help guide and provide you with data you don't have. So rather than coming to you and reporting the news and insulting your intelligence, which a lot of software systems will tell you, oh, this call went well. I can read, this deal's going badly. I can see that. We know we're dealing with amazing sales talent. It's one of the most sophisticated individuals out there. What we do is tell you stuff you don't know. For example, if you're Carson and you've got, I don't know, 10,000 or 20,000 opportunities, and of those 10,000 opportunities, about 1,000 are going to move the number for the quarter. What we tell you is, off your 100 top deals, what's changing? Why is it changing? Should you even care about those 100 top deals? Or maybe go and use your energy elsewhere. And it's not a black box where we're like, oh, believe us. We're like, look, here's why we think looking at your past data in CRM, why this deal is going to come in or not. But guess what? We're telling you what's happening on a daily basis. We're telling you on day 15 of the quarter or day 30 or day 45, there was this call with this customer, with this executive that went awry. Here's the reasons why we feel it's trending in the opposite direction. Or something as simple as you haven't engaged with your sponsor in three weeks. And if you're expecting this deal to come in this quarter and your sponsor hasn't engaged with you, something's not right over here. Because at the end of the day, top of mind, if you're not top of mind, people aren't going to sign a million dollar paycheck or half a million dollar paycheck at the end of the quarter, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. But what we're doing is going beyond this concept of reporting data that already exists, but we take great pride in telling you what you don't know and why you should. Hope that helps. Yeah. And my understanding to complete this quick tour on the forecasting is you're also particular because you go deep in not just the CRM or the customer success management system, but you suck information or you go deep with all the other systems that collectively present the view of customers for the type of large customers that you are serving. Yeah, exactly. Because at the end of the day, people have this belief that forecasting in some way is a simple roll-up. And if you have a pretty roll-up with pretty numbers, it's going to work. And if you take a look at our space over the last 16 months, you'll see there's been tremendous change in the executive suite in terms of CROs. And a CRO today in this incredibly tough environment, I mean, in my 20 years in the business, I've not been in as tough an economic environment as it is right now. And the reason is I've been through 9-11. I've been through the financial fiasco. But the difference here is we've had 10 years where you could throw a dart and close a deal. It really was because you had free money, you had an inverted deal curve, you basically had low interest rates, and you had these huge rounds. And people took the shopping cart, went out there, 
and bought everything that was there. And if your friend told you it worked, awesome. I got the money, no approvals. Today, any deal we do, we see the CFO heavily involved. They want to know what the value is. They're looking at the existing investments and saying, is this justified? I mean, do I really want to spend 150 bucks a month for a call recording tool that gives me information I already know? Should I look at a Zoom then perhaps? Why do I need to pay this much money for some of these expensive CI tools? Or if I'm looking at a forecasting tool, or if I'm looking at an activity management tool, like a relationship management, or even stuff like sales engagement, you know? I'm a huge fan of Manny Medina's, and obviously I have a lot of respect for David and the work he did at Salesforce. But when I look at Outreach or when I look at SalesLoft and the pressure they're under, both from the fact that you've got folks like Gong, you know, and then Clary Butt, Clary Butt, Groove, obviously our solution out there, they have a fundamentally different view of looking at sales engagement and how SDRs engage. And then you've got Yahoo and Google, as you guys know, with their limits, where an organization can get banned if you follow the old cadence of spray and pray. Nothing exasperated me more as a CRO to get 10 emails, even to folks who left the company with the same message from the same person. And I'm like, you've obviously not done your research. This is not curated. I'm going to throw a dart and hope Trevor has this opportunity. I'm like, you don't know your audience. You don't know the person you email. You're just doing it because I'm some name on a contact list. And that's gone away. Where I was going with this was a large part of what we do is we want to know who the person is we're selling to. But we also want to know the strengths of the person who's using our tool. And that's fundamentally different because what we do is when we look at a deal, a deal for us doesn't mean just CRM data or inanimate objects or field stages. It's about who is the buyer? Has that buyer bought from you guys before? Has that buyer shown he has authority? Who else is in the buying cycle? What is the product being sold? How often are you engaging with them? Who's the AE selling? What is that AE good at? Is that AE good at objection handling? Is that AE good at dealing with conflict? Is that AE good at moving stuff through the chain? So we look at stuff called AE insights, which is your seller insights and buyer insights, marry the two together, look at all the other data that exists out there, and then de-risk that. And then we go to the CRO and say, you know, we're pretty confident this is going to come in. Or we're concerned because this is the type of customer your AE typically pulls his pants down on discounting, or this is a competitor that your AE struggles with, perhaps you need additional help, additional air cover. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's how we differ. I think we're at a point where it would be probably good that you give an overview using your own words, the suite you have assembled. So we started from the historical value proposition around forecasting. You started to mention a bit conversation intelligence, recording and other things, but give us the quick overview of the breadth And we can start from there to look at, I think you call it guided selling or how you view how all this information can be turned into action from a sales standpoint. Yeah. At this point in time, it's soup to nuts. We go right from sales engagement. And for us, when you look at sales engagement, the fundamental difference is we partner with a company called Bombora and we get intent from them. We take that intent. We use that for AI-based triggers on who to contact. So there's no spray and pray approach. It's who to contact at what point in time is the right time, is the right audience you want to interact with. It's AI-based triggers in the sense we basically guide the SDR or the rep because often there's a morphing of the organizations where the SDR and the AE are fulfilling the same role in some cases because of cost constraints or whatever. So we provide that intelligence to the AE. We also provide intelligence on existing accounts for upsell, cross-sell, and whether or not you should be contacting certain people, white space analysis, et cetera. 
Then, of course, there's the concept of lead routing, lead scoring, which we fulfill. And that's all top of the funnel, including marketing intelligence. We then go into actual opportunity management, pipeline development, understanding the quality of your pipeline, understanding whether or not you've got enough three, six, nine months down the line. When we look at forecasting for us, forecasting is this holistic process that has tentacles that go both upstream and downstream. So the question then is, when you're looking at a forecast, what's the quality of the lead that came in? What's the quality of the SQL of the opportunity? Is this something you want to rank highly? Then who do you route it to, whether it's an AU or an SDR? And then, of course, guide the AU SDR through the process, where from an AE perspective, you know, we're looking at stuff like calls, conversational intelligence, where we compete with the likes of Gong and Chorus, et cetera. The difference with us, though, is having come from a very strong DS, machine learning, NL background, we're very focused on we're very focused on going really deep. So we go into sentiment of buyers. We go into stuff like the Merabian effect. The Merabian effect. Professor Merabian was up for the Nobel Prize. He's out of UCLA. Incredible research scientist. Where he talks about the fact that only about seven percent of the conversation or the sentiment is based on the words you use. About sixteen percent is based on the tone inflection, and the rest is body language. Now, in the absence of meeting people today, where we have this hybrid atmosphere. How do you really understand what body language is? Like, for example, I see you nodding your head. That for us is a tell. Unless, of course, you're being a really nice person, Nicholas. Then we look at tone inflection. We look at you know, your facial features. We look at pupil dilation. We look at whether you're engaged or not engaged. All of those signals boil down to what the sentiment of the call was, what the inflection points was. With about 78% accuracy, we use something called the Pinocchio effect, where a gentleman called Chris Wass basically institutionalized that as part of Quantico for FBI negotiation, hostage negotiations. And often, I like to say, you're doing deals is like hostage negotiation because often you're at the mercy of your customer and you need to get a better sense from where they're going and what they really want. It's not all about price. Most people think that deals are all about price. I think it's about so many other variables on the table. So how do you figure out what that is, right? So we've taken Chris Wass's principles and we've instrumented that in our conversational intelligence offering where you have concepts like the three yeses. Until you have three yeses at three different points in time, you don't know if a deal is going to come in. We have mirroring, where I would repeat the last sentence of our conversation, and you would all start thinking I'm muy simpatico and bring me in. And it's more like I'm in the tent versus outside the tent. It's stuff like the Pinocchio effect, where if I ask Nicholas or David, tell me, how is this conversation going? Or do you think you're going to purchase a visa? And if your answer has past participles, run-on sentences, if you basically take go around in circles answering my question, more often than not, you're prevaricating. I couple that with a change in your tone because believe it or not, most human beings think they're very good at lying, but they're not. I don't need to put you through some kind of, you know, through test or, or system to do that. What I can find out is when a tone inflection changes because it's often gets constricted, we're able to figure out that something's different over here. I wouldn't say you're lying, but you're definitely holding back information. So stuff like that's very important for an SDR to qualify an opportunity in and out, but also downstream for renewal risk and understanding whether you've lost your champion, what kind of signals you're seeing over there. And then, of course, during a sales cycle, whether or not you're going to get a deal. So then, of course, you go to forecasting intelligence, where we also look at email calendar. We look at the body of the email because we found that folks, customers especially, are not exactly confrontational, unless, of course, you meet someone like a Gary Reiner, who was head of procurement at well, at a G, and now is a General Atlantic, good friend of mine. Gary had no comments telling you where to get off. I had that fond experience with Safra Katz when we negotiated with GE. But most people don't like confrontation. So how do you figure out 
So we found that they're very candid in emails. They'll tell you, we, we like this, we don't like this. But even in emails, how do you sift through what are the important signals, what are not? So we run our NLP models in an email body and we tell you that. And then all this information, you don't have to go search for it. We send it to you through triggers or automated alerts or weekly digests. And the best part is, you know, with generative AI, you're not able to talk to that data. And when I say talk to the data, this is not open AI where you got a stochastic parrot or you got uh, hallucinations because we're not interested in the wide universe of the internet. We're interested in your IP. We're interested in your data and what's relevant to you and in context. One of the reasons uh, Lenovo is using our generative AI is because of the fact that we're so specific to the customer, your information is behind your firewall. And of course, we're very careful about the models. We use Vicuna Falcon, we use Llama 2, we create the models for you, we train them on your data and you own them. It's not some generic model out there or someone else owns that data or that training. But what that does for you is, I was talking about earlier, right? Generative AI for us is amazing because it allows you to talk to data, but what people don't realize is generative AI is almost like a syllogism. All men are mortal or all women are mortal. So Aristotle's mortal or Cleopatra's model, right? Autocomplete. If you write code, you know what autocomplete means. But that's really what generative AI does. Now, don't catch me wrong. We should have realized this a long time ago because there's limited sentence structures in language, uh, now non-verb, now non-adverb. But of course, OpenAI did it. So kudos to them. They've opened this whole new world to us. But what ChatGPT or OpenAI can't do is by saying, hey, why don't you go tell me what the atmospheric pressure on the sixth moon of Jupiter is. It's going to say, hey, Trevor, are you smoking something really good? How am I supposed to know that? That data doesn't exist. But using theoretical physics, I could figure that out because theoretical physics allows me, just as, just for example, when uh, you guys have seen Oppenheimer, right? And we talk about theoretical physics and we talk about how at one point in time, they thought that exploding the atom bomb would cause a chain reaction in the atmosphere that would end the earth. That's theoretical physics. Now, of course, they took the risk. I don't know if any of our parents or grandparents knew that two or three or 10 people were taking this risk for the rest of the world by exploring the atom, knowing that theoretically it was potentially the end of the world. But that's what theoretical physics is. With theoretical physics, we could potentially come out with what the atmospheric pressure is. But where I'm going with that is, what you need is machine learning, NLP, deep learning models that actually provide insights and quantitative analysis to back that up. And then what generative AI does is, what it's never done before, allow you to talk to it in a conversational fashion which is why you and I and all of us love that. Because at the end of the day, generative AI is based on the concept of what? It's neurons in our head and it's based on this concept of neural networks, which is like how our brains are. I think you guys all remember Big Blue, right? When Big Blue beat Karpov and Kasparov, and I'm dating myself, no one was like, oh, wow, for the very first time it beat two grandmasters who had never been beaten simultaneously. Mm-hmm. But when OpenAI recognizes a cat or a dog, we're like, oh my God, it's so cool. Gopher's like, wow, OpenAI is amazing. And I'm like, okay, it's amazing. But what it does is, what's amazing is it's given a human perspective to data and to science that's unparalleled and allows us to talk to it. And that's why we're big on that. We are talking about it, which sits on top of all our data, allows you to talk to this data, get the intelligence you need. And on day one of your job, be productive, whether you're a CRO or a CEO or any knowledge work in the organization. I know I said a lot, but that's what Aviso does today. And hope that helps. Yeah. If you're bringing it to the day in the life of a, for example, like an inside sales rep, they come in and we don't want them to use Salesforce (laughs) anymore. How do they use it? I mean, what they'd have a weekly digest that tells them this is what their week's going to be like. It would tell them, 
Here are your top leads of the week. Here's the top intent scores. Here are the contacts you want to target. And then they could basically say, why do I want to contact this person? And it would give you all the reasons why. Bombora score, et cetera, et cetera. And then it would say, okay, tell me about this account. Go ahead and look at their last earnings call. Do a synopsis of their last earnings call. Do a synopsis of their 10K. One month has done. Okay, now marry that up to my products and write an email for me that's compelling. Write an email for me to the CFO connecting the two your MA requirements or some of your top five leading objectives and my products, it will create the email. You can then go and look at the email. You can make the changes you want because obviously at the end of the day, we're still dealing with the machine and there's a certain impact personal aspect. We haven't put in the stuff that's coming out with Google and with Microsoft or I want this to sound like me and I want this to sound like you. We haven't done that work yet, but we are. But basically it'll come out of the email, which is pretty accurate, which talks about the objectives, how your products map up. You can go and make the changes and say, send it out. You don't have to worry about the email address because we've auto-populated the email address for you. We have what's called a poor man's Zoom, Zoom info, which basically automatically we get information. We have people in Ukraine, we have people in India, where we have all the information that you need at a high level for email information, titles, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I'm not competing with Zoom info. I love Zoom info. I think they're incredible. But we get that poor man's Zoom info for you. And then basically you can go in and essentially send the email off. And then you don't have to like send them another email just because and spam the guy. We look for whether he came to your website. We look for whether he interacted with your data. We also look at whether he interacted with the data that you sent him. So assuming you send him a file or a PDF or content and he forwarded that email, we show you who he forwarded it to. We show you how many times it was opened. All that data comes back to you and then that triggers either this, this slow drip of information or you call the guy up and say, hey, I understand you opened it so many times. Were you interested? Blah, blah, blah. So that's an SDR. And then with the SDR, we also tell you what are the what are the cold leads, leads that have been there for a while. And perhaps since it's been six months, it's time for you to interact with these guys again. Or for example, if a rep has closed a big deal, we say, okay, here are the 10 main competitors of this big client. Would it not be good for you to go and interact with them? So that's how marketing gets helped and the SDR gets helped. That's the whole SDR automation, engagement process, SQL, MQL for an SDR, either using Mickey or using our software. It depends on how they want to go about it. With Mickey, of course, there's no interface. So it's basically Google Prompt. So it's talk and respond. Actually using the software, you can create your emails, create your cadences, create your engagement. Sorry to interrupt you. When you say Mickey, that's the name of... Yeah, Mickey is a machine integration and knowledge... System Copilot. I don't know how you call it. (laughs) It's machine integration and knowledge. No, sorry. Please continue, but... Yeah, it's an homage to a near and dear person of mine, sir. No, no, I meant because you started to use the word Mickey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And our audience doesn't necessarily know what Mickey is. So I wanted you to connect those dots. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it's your chief of staff, right? It's your chief of staff. You can think of it as an executive assistant who knows you, knows what you do on a daily basis. And over time, Mickey will understand what your workday looks like. It'll understand what kind of information you look for typically. And then the goal of Mickey is to preempt that process and providing that information on a proactive basis. And then you can ask Mickey to go find information for you, whether it's earnings score research or external stuff, as well as internal stuff, based on your security level and your access. Make sense? Yeah. And it's crazy to think about a lot of inside sales teams are cobbling together various resources to be able to do what you're describing. And I'm just wondering if someone had your tool versus trying to cobble it together or just use their instinct like we used to in the old days, how would they compete with that? It's such a huge 
jump forward in the way that we've just were doing things like a couple of years ago. You know, think about it, right? This is technology. We've taken Moore's law and thrown it out of the window. Yeah. I mean, literally have, right? And we're moving at the speed, I would say the speed of light. I'd like that because I want to go to Jupiter someday. We're definitely moving at the speed of innovation, as NVIDIA CEO says, right? And we're moving this at the speed of computing files or GPUs as it changes over time, right? I think if you ask people five years ago where artificial intelligence was going, and the word artificial intelligence is so broad because artificial intelligence in the true sense doesn't exist. There's no sentient being and there's no sense of self. And it's really not artificial intelligence. It's deep learning, generative AI, NLP, until we have AGI, right? True AGI. If you look at that, I mean, people have told you robotics. People would have told you blue-collar jobs. Mm-hmm. It's the reverse. We've leaped. We've gone into white-collar jobs where I really think what we're doing is making the SDR more intelligent more productive, making the AE more productive. And we're taking all the road work out, the waste of stuff, and we're letting them focus on their sales skills. We're letting them focus on what's important, engaging with the customer, calling the customer, adding value to the conversation versus writing 100 emails, sending 50 emails off, figuring out who to target, how to target. We do all the research for you. You absorb the research, but you still need that person to have that conversation. We're making you, in some ways, we're helping you add more value throughout the sales cycle versus having this one star that suddenly comes in and tries to close the deal. We want every person in the sales cycle to provide you with an incredible experience. Mm-hmm. A secret weapon. You call it a secret weapon. I call it knowledge. Knowledge should be ubiquitous throughout the enterprise. It should be readily available and it should be democratized. There's nothing that says the CRO should know this. I think at the end of the day, given the chance, an SDR can be as good as any AE or any manager out there and vice versa with the right knowledge, with the right weapons, with the right skill set. I think our problem is we segment people and we segment roles and pigeonhole them. And I just think that's not productive. How do we unleash productivity? You unleash productivity by letting people do what they do best, which is releasing their inner Einstein or whatever you want, Elon Musk, if you're a fan of his, if not, I'll pick someone else. But at least that inner person, which allows you to be a greater version of yourself, like a Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs is skill in life, of course, other than being on acid and giving us Apple's colors, which was incredible. But his ability to push people to do things that they felt they couldn't do and to take them to the next level was uncanny. No one's been able to do that. Whether it was a Gorilla Glass on the phone where the manufacturer was like, you're crazy, I can't do this in four months. And he did it in three. Because Steve is like, I believe you can make it happen. I think at the end of the day, AI is going to allow people to unleash that inner sense of self or how you can be a better individual, better knowledge worker, better employee, and add more value both to your company and to the folks you interact with. hope that helps. I don't want to sound too esoteric there, but I truly believe that. I got one more. So training for everybody. If you're just throwing the keys to a Ferrari to a kid who's like 16 years old, it's kind of scary because I have a student driver here <laughs> in my house. <laughs> You're talking like a Maserati here. Here you go. How do you make sure that the SDR knows how this works and can utilize it to the full extent? I'm talking about a Maserati that's self-driving. Okay. I like that. Okay. I mean, if Henry Ford asked folks, you know that saying, ask people what they want, they just said we want a faster horse that ships less. Part of my friend. He gave them the Ford. When Elon Musk was talking about self-driving cars and electric cars, people thought he was batshit crazy. They still do. Don't catch me wrong. I think what I'm trying to do is so much less than what those giants did. What I'm saying is 
Why do you need to know what a visa does? Who said you'll be trained in a visa? Who said you'll be trained in outreach? Who said you'll be trained in sales loft? Clary, Gong, all the amazing tools out there. Salesforce. Who said we have to know any software? What we need is the output. And what we need to do is be really good at what we do and be more productive. How do we do that? When we have access to information at the right time in context that helps us do our jobs better. What do you want a salesperson to do? Do you want a salesperson to be an expert in a visa, be an expert in outreach and do cute presentations? Or do you want them to sell more? If the content can be created for you, the content can be tracked, if the intelligence is provided, and you become a master of your craft. And a master of his craft is someone who does it better than anyone else in the world and closes more revenues, more productive, then more part of that SDR whom I can make him a master of his craft on day one. The way I make him on day one is if he can speak English, French, German, and Dutch, I think now, from the language we're localizing in. If he can speak that, if he can type in a Google browser, which by the way, most SDRs today are more tech savvy than most of our generation. I'm 50 and I'm a geek, <laughs> but I can assure you anyone I hire today knows as much or more than I, and can use ChatGPT, by the way, and create their own prompts. I don't have to teach them that. When these SDRs come in and you tell them, this is what we're doing, they're like, okay, great. So I don't have to learn a visa. I don't have to learn Salesforce. I want to be in this company where I can ask questions and get all my information. I can do my cadences. And then the beauty is it's self-learning. So for example, if we see that you're not good at objection handling, that perhaps discounting, or if you're early in your sales career and you have a tough time handling that ROI case, we then send a trigger to your sales enablement solution that provides you with a course or a recommendation that spend 10, 15 minutes of this. Because what we found is it's always easier to get people to go and look at 10, 15 minutes of a course when it's still fresh in their mind versus having them go and do a boot camp for one week and half the time they're half asleep or playing on their computers or doing something else. Going to your thing about enablement, enablement is the center of everything we do, but it's about self-enablement and self-improvement and knowledge sharing through a question, through a UI, that's Google. And I think most people you'll find today can know how to type out a question or ask a question and then be guided through the process. The other things we do, which I haven't gone into, uh, we have what's called playlists. So think about it, right? As I said before, I'm autistic. And unfortunately, in autism, you have three ways. You either think in terms of slides, you think in terms of numbers, or you're artistically inclined or musically inclined. I am horrible on three. So I'm fully functional. I'm good with numbers. I can go with pi to 39 decimals, 3.1415, et cetera, right? Nine to six. I'm good with slides and a photographic memory, which helps because I'm anal as hell. But when it comes to music, I suck. So what I do is when I'm working out, because I work out every day for about 50 minutes and then into my sauna and cold plunge, I go and look at Rock's playlist. I go and look at Obama's playlist because I don't know the latest music. Or I go and look at my friend's playlist. So in sales, we have playlists, SDR playlists. CRO playlist. And what we've done is we've gone and asked for the top 10, 20 things that a CRO wants to see on a daily basis, what ops wants to see on a daily basis. And we've put it as playlist. Now, once you're in the playlist, the playlist goes through automatically and answers the questions based on your data. You can then go and add to your playlist. You can create your own playlist. You can pick questions and say, now this is David's playlist. Or you can ask additional questions. And if the data doesn't exist, it doesn't come back and say, create a data. Like OpenAI created those cases in New York for those lawyers. We say, hey, this data is not available based on your permissions, or this data is not available because you haven't connected us to your marketer system. And then you can say, hey, I want this, put a request into IT and get us connected. So the whole point is, it's not going to happen on day one, David and Nicholas, right? Where people are going to be like, okay, I find this really easy to talk to someone who's not a human being. But over time, we'll adopt it because it becomes parcel of our daily lives and it's adding value and making our lives easier. And this is how we make you crawl, walk, and run and enable. I hope that helps. Mm -hmm. 
It does, it does. So you mentioned some of your clients. Are you targeting specific sizes, specific industries? At the end of the day, our ICP tends to be either discrete manufacturing, large industrials, high-tech, FinServe Pharma. We find we drive the most value there. Large amounts of data, high risk, mitigation of risk, complex information, complex businesses. But at the same time, we've seen this huge upturn in our mid-market SMB business, which is amazing. And part of it is because of this realization that people don't want a slow chair approach and they don't want three, four, five different versions of software. They want to have one system that can do everything for them. And in some cases, as you probably know, we replace about 30% of your Salesforce cost or your CRM cost because of the fact that we're not a skin on Salesforce like all our peers are. We have our own database. We have our own time series DB. We have our own Postgres. And we're a sync system, a sync platform, but we use our version of our CRM to sync data from SAP, Oracle, Microsoft, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of customers, and in fact, a very large deal we're doing in Q4, Touchwood, actually asked me today, he's like, can you take out 28% of my Salesforce cost? Because if you can do that, I'm willing to sign up for a multi-year trans, you know, partnership, et cetera, which is a multi-million dollar deal for us. So we're seeing more and more people question the need for even paying that much money to a CRM, leave alone other systems of intelligence. Yeah. That's one of the questions I always ask. Do we need our CRM anymore? <laughs> Obviously, there's a lot of transformative. <laughs> when Tom Siebel first went to Larry in 1994, 1995, and said, I want to manage my sales ops. And Larry's like, okay, go build it. And he's like, with what? He's like, you've got Oracle software. I mean, build it or use Excel or use whatever, right? And then Tom went off and built it. But ever since that day, whatever we built has always been top down has always been about the manager managing the process. And it's really been about how do I close more business? It's about asking questions about why you're not doing something right versus helping you do something right and helping you actually improve. And I hated that. And then, of course, Salesforce came out and said, we're going to change it. We're going to provide a 360-degree view. But it never ever dealt with the exchange of value between the employee and the employer where there's an actual economic exchange where you're adding value. And that's what we've been battling with and trying for the last several years to deliver, right? Is how can I make sure that the AE and the SDR feel like they're getting value and closing business and putting coin in their pocket versus just the manager looking at? Now, of course, CROs love us. I mean, they see everything. I mean, mid-managers love us. The whole concept of having to deep dive into a deal doesn't exist anymore. Avisa does that for you, gives you an analysis, and you can make your judgment on whether you believe us or not and ask the questions. Our AEs love us because they don't get calls from their managers anymore, asking them how things went because the AE can say, hey, did you look at the last update from Oviso? Or did you look at the last call analysis? I think that does a pretty good job, doesn't it? <laughs> so, why are you calling me? Of course, no AE is going to say that, but you get where I'm going. But the question is still, how do you crack that nut where you take out all the grunt work from the AE and you make the AE actually want to provide you with information versus hide? That's what Oviso is cracking today and has been highly successful at. Yeah, it just reminds me of a joke where the sales manager shows a picture of a mansion and a bunch of Maseratis to a sales rep. And he goes, someday, if you work really, really hard, all of this will be mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. But when I first became a manager at Oracle, I didn't want to be a manager because I had done 1,400% of my number my first year. I broke the comp curve. They wrote me a check for $3.75 million compensation. And I think the only reason they wrote that check, because I know there's a lot of heartburn, because my check was higher than most people's. My quota was $4 million, And they wrote me a $3.75 million on a commission check. 
And they had to lift me in the top, like the section 21 officers or whatever. And I was 28 years old. And I still remember they were mad, but they did it because they knew I came from McKenzie and, you know, I had an attorney's degree and they were like, oh shit, this guy's probably going to sue our ass. Plus if he's made 49% with a number, <laughs> he's not exactly going to roll over, right? <laughs> Jokes aside. But the next year they want to make me a manager and I didn't want to be a manager. Why am I going to be a manager and make less money when yeah. I made 3.5 million? And when you're 28 and make 3.5 million, you're like, I want to do this every year. Now, you don't realize it's not possible every year because you still think you're Jesus and you parted the ways, you parted the water. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they forced me to be a manager. Then I broke the code again and again, again, and again. What I realized over time was if your teams truly believe that you're going to deliver value and that they can break the curve, they're going to deliver for you. For example, at Salesforce, my first year there, nine people on my team made over a million dollars in commissions. I mean, Scott Blocker, John Gilman, Sukumar Ramanathan, that's the who's who of AWS, Salesforce today. I mean, Scott Blocker today runs uh, CMT. He's senior vice president over there. John's done amazing for himself out there as a CRO at People.ai. After that, you know, he went to Confluent and now he's at Databricks. Sukumar Ramanathan ran high tech for, and these were reps on my team. And they all did amazingly well. And they closed some of the largest deals in the history of the company. We did 314% of our number as a vice president, which is unreal because vice presidents don't do 330%. So they made me rich, but it also made themselves very rich because all of them had million dollar checks. Where I was going with this is if you can bring everyone with you in that journey, then of course you make a lot of money, maybe not as much as them, but you make a lot of money and they do too. But if you're under this belief that everything's about you, as you said, and it's always going to be a top-down approach, you're never going to succeed. And a large part of why we did well for about 10 years, we were the number one performing team at Oracle, which is a shock tank, as you know, and Salesforce. And anyone who challenges me, I know our productivity as a team was about 300% what Salesforce's AE productivity was, because AE's productivity at Salesforce was around a million, million one, million two in the up market. We were averaging around 3 million a rep and 3 million ACV a rep. And this was in 2011, 2012. So we were doing well. But a large part of it was this belief where our goal wasn't doing our number. My challenge to them was, if you can't show me how you can do 3x your number, then I'm not interested in talking. So our plan was always 3x what the plan was. And then if they didn't hit 3x, they did 2x. But at 2x, they make serious money. And most people thought I was batshit crazy. But our QBRs were never about, are you going to hit your goal? It was understood that you hit your goal. It was assumed, assumptive close. Now tell me how you get a 3x and 2x. And for 99% of the guys, it worked. They blew their numbers away. 1,000%, 900%, 700%, Numbers that you think are crazy, but we did it time and again. Over 10 years, not one year. They didn't even have a visa. They didn't have a visa. And that's one of the reasons we built a visa, right? And a good segue, but that's why we built a visa because everything we programmatized and we used brute force, we want to make it easy for the rep. The reason we did better than everyone else was because we worked harder. We did more research. We called more. We met more. We did more. And if I could take all that work away and give those same teams a visa today, I think instead of doing 500% of your number, they'd have all blown me away and maybe look like chump change and done 39%, 1200%, right? Which is me being probably the only person ever in Oracle who ever did 400% of his number. Right? So. Amazing. Nicholas, what do you think? Well, I'm digesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking. Need a smoke after that? Start? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I only took half uh, an espresso because I got I know. the other remaining three off. <laughs> I would encourage you guys. Workout saunas and cold plunges. <laughs> Go look up the names of the guys I told you. What I'm most proud about is how far they've come. They're just incredible individuals. Sukumar right now runs large enterprise for Anna Plant. 
John Gilman, I told you about Scott Blocker, Denise Dressers, what she's now CRO of Oracle, <laughs> so Salesforce, sorry. And that's because they have these good fundamentals. They have this amazing work ethic. And maybe I was blessed. Maybe I just was the luckiest manager in the world where I ended up with all A players, which as you know, is very rare. But when I look at them, I'm like, it's amazing. Their career trajectories, they made a lot of money, but they're also at the highest levels of their craft. And they're teaching other people how to do it right today. Oh, that's amazing. And now you have a mafia. <laughs> I got lots of friends. And you can go back to them and talk about a visa. It's a good alumni group. Yeah, it's alumni. <laughs> alumni sounds better than mafia. Yeah, yeah. We're not the PayPal mafia, but we definitely have a very strong network. And my first million dollar check was Sun Microsystems and Scott McNeely. And Scott McNeely till today, he's an advisor. He's an investor in a visa and a mentor. He's on my advisory board. My second deal was Samarayer at WebEx, mentor, advisor, investor. Henry Richard, customer, mentor, advisor, investor. Our advisory board has about 30 or 35 of some of the brightest people and luminaries in the industry that all of you guys know. It's this force multiplier effect for us because they truly believe in what we've done, but more so in what we bring to the table based on their experience with me and with Aviso over the last 10, 20 years. Absolutely. Nicholas, what do you think? Well, I'm looking for my checkbook now. <laughs> <laughs> What? No surprise, you've been so much outperforming. <laughs> and you guys see this, right? And I'm not saying this. I've never been more excited about our space and industry than I've ever been before. I've never seen anything as revolutionary as where artificial intelligence can take us in terms of promise. And in terms of what I call democratization of data. Right? So really available to the masses in terms of intelligence and making it ubiquitous. And so that it's not something that just a few I've never been a fan of the few having control or a few having intelligence or a few having dollars. In Aviso, our philosophy is every employee is an owner. It's the same with my customers. I want every employee to have the same access, the same intelligence, the same functionality. I don't want it to be a have and a have-nots, right, society. I'm not trying to get all esoteric, but, but I really think that's important because when you do that and you accept the fact that each person can reach for the stars and be a better version of themselves, having access to the same resources and the same content, and the same knowledge, then the sky's the limit for us. But it's always been a situation where, okay, well, I'm going to have to go and ask IT for this, or I'm going to have to ask this, and you don't have the permission for this. And oh my God, is this deal really important? And should I really develop these resources? It was always this huge red tape in getting deals done, even for me. When I first came to Oracle, no one wanted to work with me. They're like, oh my God, the guy came from McKinsey. Fucking Esau. You know what McKinsey's famous for? I mean, they go in... We charge $5 million and we make you bankrupt. Then we tell you how to get out of bankruptcy for another half, five or $10 million. Not to be a dick. <laughs> Philosophy, right? So Oracle's like, oh, so you're going to tell me how to screw up my business, Trev? And then going to tell me how to fix it? Do you know what I mean? So no one would work with me until I closed Sun. When I closed Sun and the SEs got these big fat checks, then everyone wanted to work with me. But what I want to do with a visa is on day one, you don't need anybody other than yourself. And if you're truly good at what you do and you have access to all this knowledge, and you can prove yourself in the first couple of weeks, you're going to get access to all the information, all the people you want. That's what a visa does. And it just works. You don't have to... It has to work, right? For us, you have no idea how mission critical we are. Salesforce can go down. Mm. A visa goes down. My phone, and not even go down. Like our users want the reports to load in under seven seconds or six seconds. Tableau, mm. I can tell you at ServiceNow, if you try to load a global report, it takes a good one and a half minutes by the time you're done. It's like the wheel of death. It keeps spiraling. It keeps And you can go ask them. I mean, this is not just public information. When I went to an e-staff meeting with Ring Central, 
and Carson was showing me all the reports that go out weekly, he tried to pull up one report and crashed three times. Now, we don't compete with Tableau. But what I'm trying to explain to you guys is the level of excellence that's expected of us because we're providing information that's basically transformational, but at the same time, it's so mission critical that we can't afford to be running for one minute or half a minute or whatever. If people don't get access to information. And the second thing is, when you're asking questions, I don't know if you guys have used ChatGPT, but if you're asking questions and you have latency, no rep's going to wait 30 seconds. I'm sorry, guys. They're going to just X out and say, I'm going to go find that information myself. So that's the other battle we deal with, right? How can I give that experience and that knowledge, not just the quality, but can I give it to you so that if you have severe ADD, which most of us do, you're still happy. Okay, I got the information, right? I wouldn't wait 15 seconds. I use me as a true parameter or litmus test. If I get exasperated, it's not going to work. <laughs> I mean, of course, I'm not you're easy. You're going to hear from me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have product roadmap calls every day, five days a week. Not once a month, not once a week, not once a quarter. Because we're building so much, I'm a big show me person. Like, don't tell me about it. Talk is cheap and I got grand visions and theoretical physics is awesome. But if you still believe in theoretical physics, we wouldn't have a lot of the technology we have today because we thought the world would end with fission and with the is equal to MC squared. People don't realize Einstein was the father. In some ways, he was the father of understanding E is equal to MC squared and, and in a sense, theoretical physics. But at the end of the day, he had very little to do with the bomb or with Oppenheim, the Oppenheimer project or any of that stuff because his stuff was so theoretical and hadn't been proven out. Until they actually went in and started doing those experiments, a large part of why Oppenheimer, I mean, won the arms race in some senses, called it of won or lost, was because of the fact that the experimental physics lab at Berkeley was right next to the theoretical physics lab. So whatever the theoretical physics guys like Oppenheimer and the rest of the folks, Niels Bohr and all were talking about, in theory, they were actually proving out first through mathematics, because by the way, I don't know if people know, but Oppenheimer and Niels sucked at math. So you had to actually do the calculations. And when you do the calculation, then you were thinking the world was going to end. You had to prove it out. <laughs> on a smaller basis in the lab. You guys think this is crazy, but this is how magic happens. You got to dream it. You then got to prove it. And then you got to experiment. And that's what we're doing in light speed right now. It's really interesting talking to you about this because like I said, I think you're the first true sales leader, CRO, who is now at the helm of this thing. So it's a combination of theoretical and practical combined. I do have an edge. I will admit, I do have an edge. My uh-huh. board tells me all the time when I say, I don't get it. Yeah, you get it because you've done it. My board says, I'm building what I would have wanted, which is true. Yeah. But I'm not even building what I want, right? Because I'm also building what the Trevor wanted 10 years ago, what the Trevor wanted 20 years ago, what the Trevor wanted 24, I started 21, so 24 years ago, what Trevor as an AE wanted, Trevor as an RVP. I don't lose sight of that because often you lose sight of where you started. And for me, where I started is more important than where I'm going to go because it defines where I'm going to go. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. This is amazing. Okay. Well, I think if folks have been listening this far, they're going to put Aviso up next to the various other choices we have. Thank you so much for coming on and telling us about it. I think it's a great opportunity. Well, Nicholas, David, thank you so much. This was very enjoyable. And for the folks out there listening, We have a gratis two-week assessment where we come in, we take a look at your pipeline, we do a pipeline assessment, we give you an option to kick the tires. So don't believe me. Let's actually show you what the next generation of systems looks like and where you should be and what you should be demanding of your current suppliers and vendors. Thank you so much, guys. 
Thank you. And we'll get the link. We can put that in the show notes as well and send over all interested parties to talk with you more about this. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on. Pleasure, guys. Take care.